Hello again, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Animation Fascination. I'm Mark Vivert, and with me again is Stanford Clark. Hey. And Mr. John Huber. Hello. And today we are lucky enough to have a very special guest, Jason Schleifer, who is the head of character animation at DreamWorks Animation. And he most recently just worked on the Mr. Peabody and Sherman film that came out. And he, he also worked on the Bowinkle, Rocky and Bowinkle short that they also did, but still waiting for that to come out sometime in the future. But just in case you guys haven't listened to this podcast before, we focus on the entire world of animation. Each episode, we feature an animated series or film from the past to present. Uh, whether it's traditionally hand-drawn, computer-generated, or stop-motion, if it's animated, it's up for discussion with us. So with that, we'll be back in a few seconds with our new releases for the week. our new releases for the week we're gonna have a few disney blu-rays and then a transformers dvd so the the first one uh, have you guys ever seen winnie the pooh springtime with rue no oh come on john you know it's your favorite movie of all time is it an old one uh it's i don't, I don't remember exactly what year it came out it, i know it's, it's not an older one though it's, it's only 65 minutes too so it's barely feature length and direct to video yeah too. Oh, then no, I've never seen it. <laughs> yeah, it's it's kind of like a an Easter special that they did for Winnie the Pooh, more or less. Uh, and since everybody else was getting their own film, like like Tigger and the Piglet movie and whatnot, so they had to do one for Rue, as well, because <laughs> you know it was in that that period of time where they they were doing sequels and spinoffs to everything at Disney, straight to DVD right. stuff. But yeah, this one's basically like an Easter special where like. And like a spring cleaning thing where like Rabbit like wants to clean everything instead of doing the usual dressing up like the Easter Bunny like he always does. And so that's what's going on in, in that. So I, I was wondering if you, either of you had seen it just because I wanted to get like what your ideas and what your thought of it as well. No, I don't. Chances are excellent. I'm, I'm not going to be seeing it either. <laughs> <laughs> so. And the only the only bonus on here is a get up and dance, spring into the holiday spirit, and dance to songs from the movie. Oh, so <laughs> dance along. Yeah, and not just the the sing along or the bear eoki <laughs> like they have on some of the other ones, but right. But I mean, it, it's it's good for the like the ages that it's. Sure. Centered at, and like, my son didn't really get too much of a kick out of it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so I, I guess it's like for like maybe like two to yeah the preschool to, set to five or something like that. But I, the animation is 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 great though because it's it's newer animation and it's on Blu-ray, so that that looks beautiful at least. Uh, but yeah, going from that, another Disney one that I know Stanford is not too fond of is yeah. the, the Jungle Book two. Did you ever see this one, John? Uh, I don't. I stay, don't. I've watched the, the Aladdin sequel once, and I've watched the Lion King sequels, but not the the Timon and Pumbaa right. spinoff. I don't do the sequels at Disney. They're right. they're. Well, Return to Jafar and uh, Prince of, Aladdin and the Prince of Thieves or or King of Thieves are actually 
one of like those those rare exceptions from the, like the the Disney sequels that they did that are actually like decent movies. I do like yeah. those, yeah. and I liked Lion King too, um, a, a lot. I mean, because it used a lot of the music from the first yeah. one. It didn't make it. Right, well, speaking of music from a first movie being used in a second movie, uh, they used the Baron of Sicities like two or three times in Jungle Book 2. Uh, what's kind of funny is that the, the voice cast for this, though, is like uh, John Goodman does the voice of Baloo, Haley Joe Osment does the voice of Mowgli, and then Mae Whitman does the voice uh, what's, it, what's her name? Shanti. Shanti. Does the voice name. of Shanti. Mae Whitman. A very young Mae Whitman. Yeah, so I was waiting for somebody to say her. <laughs> but yeah, Mae Whitman, who who now does the voice of Tinkerbell in the in the those films, and who who was in Scott Pilgrim and Rest of Development and other things. But yeah, it's funny to kind of, to watch some of the bonus features on this and see a uh, very young Haley Joel Osment and a very young Mae Whitman, a younger John Goodman, obviously too. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I like some of the songs in this actually. Like there there was the the Jungle Rhythm song that's in the movie. I like I liked that. Uh, but some of the like the the backgrounds aren't all right. John Ray's Davy does the voice in the, this film as well too. So I mean they they got a lot of good voice talent for the film. Oh Jim Cummings does the voice of Ka, because I mean that that would make sense to get the guy that does the voice currently of Winnie the Pooh to do the voice of Ka because the the same thing was done for the original Jungle Book film. But I'm my my son enjoyed it. Uh, I mean, like I said, I like some of the music in this. I think that's probably like the best part of Jungle Book Two is is that, and and I did like the work that John Goodman, Haley Drosman did as as Baloo and Mowgli because I thought they did that pretty well. And it still sounds a lot like Phil Harris, and I'm not sure of the original voice actor's name who did Mowgli in the, in the first film, but they sound close enough to it that. That like I don't know I guess say like my son was to watch both of them back to back you wouldn't know that's a different person doing the the voice to each character but yeah and then the bonus features that are on that there's a deleted scene that I've got you beat which is a, like a deleted song uh, braver there's sing along songs again music videos uh, there's the legacy of the Jungle Book which is like a, a making of this Jungle Book two and then like showing how they they wanted to make a film as good as the Jungle Book. So yeah, those are the bonus features on that, and uh, these both are, are so that Winnie the Pooh comes out March 11th, and then Jungle Book 2 comes out March 18th, uh, and then the next one's coming out March 18th is Frozen on Blu-ray, and I know that Stanford has seen this. Uh, John, you, did you see it as well? Not yet. All right. So so what did, what did you think about the film? What's, what's more, Stanford? Well, I'm a big, you know, I'm a big fan of Frozen. I, I thought it was great and clearly a return, just a continue to, uh, I guess, a return to form at, at Disney, which I think really started uh, with Tangled. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, Wreck-It Ralph, I thought was just fantastic, too. So uh, Frozen's great. I, I mean, I really like Frozen. Frankly, I'm still shocked that it's, become the uh, phenomenon worldwide that it has. Yeah. Not, that it's, open not in that it's a, or in Japan yet. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and not that it's a bad film in any way. It's just I'm I just am surprised, you know, how 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 it just how it's such a juggernaut. But uh, still 
good film. It's going to be nice. I, I, you know, I've pre-ordered it on Amazon and it'll be great. (laughs) Great to have it in the library. I'm still bummed that they didn't, they didn't do a 3d Blu-ray. 3d. Especially watching it again and seeing like all the, like the snow, like floating around and assuming how awesome that would look in 3d. Well, not to mention how awesome the get a, Oh yeah. And I I finally got to watch, I finally got to watch get a horse. Yeah, and like you said, that would probably would have been pretty awesome in 3D. So I'm yeah. I'm still hoping that that dollar theater that's close to us will eventually get this in 3D. In 3D, I hope so too. Because I'd like to check it out. And like I I said uh, in a past episode, the UK has a, a 3D Blu-ray for it. So I mean, and then I get apparently it's region free. So if you want to, I'm assuming with like conversion rates for like currency and whatnot it'd probably end up being like 70 bucks with like shipping and stuff so oh, yeah. if you want it that so. bad i guess you can get get it in 3d but uh i'm 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 just kind of bummed there wasn't that many bonus features on here there's the making of frozen which i had known that there's like that musical thing that they were going to do for it but then i thought there's going to actually be <laughs> like right. the, the making of frozen after that yeah but there's not it's just <laughs> that musical thing asking how Frozen how was made. Frozen. I was like, oh, cool, I, I guess. <laughs> but then uh, there's a defrosted Disney's journey from Hans Christian Anderson to Frozen. Which, that that was a pretty cool bonus feature. Uh, talking with Alice Davis about Mark Davis's designs for like the original Snow Queen film that they were developing way back when, and the uh, ideas they had put into for the like the Snow Palace ride. Yeah, the Enchanted that, Snow Palace. Yeah, that, ride. that you had talked about. Um, mm-hmm. Hopefully, they can repurpose that and and make a Frozen ride at, at Disneyland and or World. Yes. So, so that that's a pretty cool bonus feature. Watch that. So I would definitely suggest checking that out. There's deleted scenes with commentary uh, for, with Chris Buck and Jennifer Lee, which I wish there was an actual commentary on the film itself too. Yes. Uh, and then there is. Let's see, three different music videos for the Let It, Let it Go. There's the Demi Lovato uh, version, there, and then there's a version in Spanish and a version in Italian as well. Wow. All, all with their own individual music videos. And then, like you, we were just talking about, there's a Get a Horse short on there as well, which is which is pretty good. I, I enjoyed that too, but like, like you said, I would... I want to see what what that would be like to see that in 3D too. And then the the Blu-ray comes with a DVD and a digital HD digital copy of it as well, which you can now use on the Disney Movies anywhere. On that Disney Movies app, yeah. So definitely suggest checking that out when when that comes out on the 18th as well. And I'm pretty sure that'll do just as well on Blu-ray and DVD oh, as it's been doing in the theater. Seriously, yeah. Our our, our one friend uh, Kyle who who runs his own site had written up an article about he's wondering if they'll release this and then maybe if they'll put it in the diamond edition yeah. thing with more I was bonus features too, Martha, they they'll have they'll have the 3d version and some more yeah. bonus features but maybe and that'll uh, probably yeah. get put out before aladdin does on blu-ray too <laughs> <laughs> everything will there, be out. yeah aladdin will be the the last diamond edition blu-ray to put out uh, just just to spite me because they know that's the one that i want the most that you want yeah but they listen, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but we, I don't know if you guys saw too. The, the, there were some rumors of some of the films that are going to be coming out on Blu-ray this year from Disney, from their canon, like Black Cauldron, uh, Tarzan, 
Hercules, which I'm excited about all of those. And then, and then some of those package features. Yeah, like Sordos Amigos, Three Caballeros. Yeah. Uh, fun so, and Fancy Free. And oh, yeah, those. Fun and Fancy Free. So, I mean, after those come out, that would leave only Aladdin. Aladdin. Melody Time, uh, Make Mine Music. And wow. I think, uh, and then Ichabod and Mr. Toad for, oh, and 101 Dalmatians for films that haven't been released on Blu-ray yet from their, their canon collection. But, what about an edited Song of the South? Right. Well, that's that's not in the UK yeah. for that one too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or, or last year at the Phoenix Comic Con, there was a guy selling selling those DVDs. So maybe you'll be able to find one this year, John. But I think he was selling it for like thirty bucks. So. But and then the last thing, uh, non Disney thing from Shout Factory is Transformers Armada, the complete series that's going to be coming out on the eleventh. Did either of you guys ever watch this series at all? Yep. What would you no. like to say about it? Um, I, I mean, Armada was the line that kind of brought Transformers back. It had gone, um, it had spun off, you know, after the Beast Wars went to Beast Machines, it, then the, the 3D CGI show stopped, and then they imported some Japanese series over here, which is Robots in Disguise. Armada brought it back, and it, Hasbro really... Uh, um, really used that time to reintroduce a new toy line, reintroduce the, the Minicons gimmick, which are little Transformers that um, worked with the bigger Transformer to access weapons and special features. The toys were gimmicks themselves, but some of the, the toys were, um, they weren't designed all that well, like maybe for, I guess they thought we were just too young or too, you know, they if you flip them over, it's transformed. And they're actually getting back to that. And that's another story. But, um, but it, it, it did do one important thing. It brought Transformers back into the, the zeitgeist, if you will. At the, and um, it made it very popular. It was an amazing comic book series came out with it um, that was way better than the TV show as well. But uh, it was a good series. And it led up to um, the introduction of Unicron into the regular series, yeah. which tied it back. Um, got us finally a Unicron toy, which I'm looking at right now. It's on my shelf. Um, so, I mean, it has a lot of good things that it did. It was just, uh, it was all based on a, a gimmick, but, uh, I, I enjoyed it for, you know, for what it was. And, uh, we have to give it its props because it really brought Transformers back in the public conscience and led to, uh, you know, three really crappy movies. But, uh, <laughs> um, you know, we, I, you know, it, Transformers became huge again because Armada, you know, was, was made. So I'm glad it's coming out. If you've never seen it, it is very episodic. It tells a, a long far reaching story. Um, the acting is, uh, or the voice acting is, is okay. <laughs> I mean, um, I really like the guy that did prime, um, cause you know, it wasn't, uh, Peter Cullen, right. but, uh, I loved Megatron that tank that he turned into the way he had his horns. I mean, he was just, it was a great character design. Um, Starscream, was was really cool looking too, but uh, yeah, I mean, I was a fan, but it wasn't the best, and I knew it wasn't the best at the time, and it got better, and it continues to get better. Very cool. Yeah. Hey, John, on kind of a side note, what's your take on on this fourth Transformers feature coming out this year? As long as Michael Bay's involved, it's going to be hot garbage. And there's, yeah, yeah. Every single movie I've had to literally. Stand in line, and when I go to see it, I have to turn my brain off and realize that I'm just going to watch huge robots beat the crap out of each other. Yeah. So I've walked out of every three movie excited because I got that. 
But if I try to look at it from a subjective standpoint of what I just saw and try to, to measure it as something to review, I would tear it to pieces because the stories are nonsensical. The acting is atrocious. Um, they're literally the worst directed movies I have ever seen that have made billions of dollars. I mean, <laughs> yeah. it, it's mind boggling. It they is, show these trailers it? of the Dinobots and Prime riding them with a uh-huh. sword, and he's got a shield, and it's all these great, you know, scenes. And I'll just, I'll just like that, I will go in at the end of June, and I'll sit down, and I'll just, I'll turn my brain off, and I just want to see Prime and Grimlock, <laughs> and uh, and and Galvatron, and uh, you know, uh, that's all I want. I want to see those three things interact with each other, and I don't care about the, the slow motion of the hot, attractive woman, um, you know, Marky Mark. You know, Michael Bay's definitely not going to get a performance out of him because yeah. you know, he, he needs a good director. Yeah, so how do you mold it for me? Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it's I, – I, I hate them. I hate them. I hate them. But I watch them because, I mean, Transformers was my thing. I mean, I, yeah. 1984 was the year that I became a person. I mean, that uh, Transformers and G.I. Joe were the biggest things. And my room, as I'm building it here, is literally littered with Transformers and G.I. Joe figures everywhere. Nice. Mm-hmm. Cool. Uh, and the other other thing with that is, how many American flags did you guys spot in that trailer? I didn't look. I, yeah, I said I didn't pay attention. I, watch, I was, yeah, was going to say, I watch it again. And, I was like, oh, watch it again and, t- and tell how many American flags <laughs> you see in, in, throughout the entire trailer. Okay. There, there's a, there's I at least watch it again. <laughs> there's at least twelve or thirteen. Really. Different spot. Uh, one one shot. There's two. He's got one <laughs> hanging behind him, like in the rafters, and then there's one off to the left. And then I guess you could count a third one because his welding mask has the American flag on it too. <laughs> so is it like Team America, but with Transformers? Is that... <laughs> there's a viral that they're do- a viral campaign that they're doing with it too. Because when, when you see there's a billboard that says "Remember Chicago," it's got a phone number on it. If you call that, it'll give you like this recorded message that they have there and tell you to go to transformersordangerous.com. And then there's like this big, uh, like really high resolution thing of like Optimus that's almost like a wanted kind of sign. Like if you have any information, like call this number or whatnot, you can print those out and they basically want you to like put those on like telephone poles and stuff. So that's an interesting viral campaign they have going for that too. But I, th- I'm sorry, I, I think that the story would have been okay in the able hands or hands of an able director. Michael Bay cannot tell a, phys- a, a visual story at all. He's a great cinematographer, and he's probably a great editor, but as, as a guy calling all the shots, he is literally the worst person to ever hold that position. And, um, you know, the, the first movie, it literally boils down to about a boy getting his first car. We've all, all three of us have gone through that. We all know that love. Mine was a 75 Pinto wagon. I love that car. still love that car to my day, to this day. Um, the second one was supposed to be about a boy going away to college and the feelings that, that he felt, and I'm sure we've all felt that as well. Um, and the third one, I don't know what the hell the third one was about. Trying um, to get a job in, yeah, the bad, yeah. in the bad economy. Trying to get a job with a hot girlfriend, you know, living, whatever. But In, in a super nice apartment. Exactly. Um, so, I mean, th- there, were, there was constant themes, very drawn-out themes there, but... Bay just doesn't know how to shoot. He doesn't. He does not know how to shoot. I mean, go watch Transformers again. Prime walks by. You see his hip. They're not even showing the robot. And so you've got a, a hip, and then the lower lower left hand corner. Then you have you know Spike's or uh, sorry Sam's head. And uh, you know who framed that shot? Who sat there and said this is how I'm going to frame this shot? 
Yeah. You know, who storyboarded that shot? So, yeah, I hate him. I hate him. I hate him. I hate him. And that's terrible to say on this podcast, yeah. but, man, I hate this guy. The one thing I'll be wondering with the fourth film is, like, how they'll, they'll explain, like, where Sam is supposed to be. Since it, well, well, just because <laughs> he's not in the movie. Well, yeah, because Bumblebee is supposed to be like his guardian, and Bumblebee's still in the movie, so I don't know if oh, he'll just he, be he's like, in oh. LA. he's in L.A. wearing a bag on his head. You can't find him. <laughs> <laughs> he's not famous anymore. That's right. <laughs> oh, man. Speaking of that, you can watch old episodes of Even Stevens on YouTube right now. <laughs> Oops. Uh, so with that, that, those are our new releases for the week. We'll be back in a few seconds with our, our one new story that we're going to be talking about this week. Great, and we are back with our news for the week, and I will let you take it away, John. Yeah, the the, the big news for fans of cartoons, the tr- of, of cartoons and the Cartoon Network, is that uh, Stu Snyder, um, the XVP um, and CEO of Turner Animation since ni- 2007, I'm sorry, um, has been let go of his position. This is um, great news for fans of, of animation, as I said. Um, Stu Snyder was the guy that brought the initiative of live action and reality shows to a cartoon network. Um, he replaced all the shows that we used to turn in, tune into to watch with basically garbage. And viewership tanked, of course. And uh, he wouldn't listen. He was very uh, strong-minded. And, uh, you know, basically... The, the success of regular show and Adventure Time sealed his, his doom because it showed that people do still care about animation. Yeah. And, uh, you know, there was a regime change at, uh, at Turner. And John Martin was promoted to the CFO. And, uh, you know, with all the restructuring, um, you know, David Levy was basically moved up to the president and uh, Snyder was told to get the heck out. And uh, well, I read the story. The LA Times reported it yesterday. And uh, I read it and I could not believe how jubilant I was. He, he was the worst thing to happen to animation in the last 20 years. And, uh, so, uh, I, you know, I'm glad you're gone, Stu. I, I hope you don't find a job in animation ever again. Um, you should really go back to the reality network and, uh, yeah, don't, don't, don't mess with our stuff anymore, man. <laughs> that, uh, that's th- big news. Do you think how many of the live action shows that they have on Cartoon Network right now, do you, how many of them do you think will, they'll be getting, getting rid of? Do you think they'll get rid of all of them or... Um, yeah, I'm, I'm assuming that there's going to be a major shift. Um, I think, or they'll make like a separate network for them or something. I don't know. Well, I mean, I'm sure there, if there's not already, there's going to be a reality network where it's 24 hours reality garbage. Um, to put this in a little bit of perspective, and I've been trying to track this down since the news broke for the story I'm writing for animation fascination. Um, I think Stu Snyder is also the reason why, um, all the DC shows were canceled because yeah, I was going to ask that too. He he pulled those for you know we need more live action, we need more reality, we need more you know what you know what supposedly kids want to watch these days. So he killed Young Justice. He killed the Green, Green Lantern. Lantern series. Um, there was, I, I heard it, Batman the uh, uh, the Where the Batman got canceled too. It did. Yes. Yeah, so. And uh, let me reiterate, I cannot verify if if he was the one that made these decisions or not. Um, it happened under his regime, so you have to assume that he had a hand in it. 
um, because everyone I know watched those shows. We talked about it. We were online talking about it. I don't know if that means that just just my friends watched it. But they were all well-made shows too. <laughs> Young Justice, you know, I didn't know what to think of it. I caught one episode midway through like season two, and I was hooked. One episode just hooked me. So it was really well done. Um, so hopefully this will also lead to a resurgence um, in, you know, again, animation coming to the Cartoon Network. Yeah. <laughs> Hence the, the name of the network. Exactly. exactly. Uh, oh, everyone should be excited about this as well. Uh, like when I, I talked about it a few weeks ago, when he, I did the Beware of the Batman uh, review from Warner Director. Warner Director is actually going to be putting Green Lantern, the complete series, out on Blu-ray now too. That's coming out on March 18th. You can, it's like, again, it's one of those order uh, to be made kind of Blu-rays. So they'll make it for basically when you order it, then they make it and then they ship it to you. So uh, should be excited about that. I know our, our friend Ralph is definitely excited about that because he, as soon as I got the Beware of the Batman when he was, he was upset that the Green Lantern didn't get one. So, and, and so a few weeks later we find out this is happening. And then I sent a message to Warner direct Saying now, now with these two films or two shows out on Blu-ray, now we just need to get Young Justice, the complete series on Blu-ray as well, and they they liked that uh, or favorited it on Twitter. So I don't know what that means. Maybe eventually that'll happen too. So good. So oh, yeah. So I, I like Warner Direct in that is that that we get a lot of these shows and like films that might not necessarily have gotten a Blu-ray or DVD release before, get them through that program. So. I'm excited about that as well. So, and and maybe maybe with that happening, maybe we'll get some of those shows back. Maybe I don't know. Maybe hopefully, I, I'm still I still want Disney XD to bring Tron Uprising back because I liked that show a lot. But yeah. I really liked uh, the Avengers show that was on there. Oh, Earth's Mighty Heroes. Yeah, I enjoyed that a lot too. But they they basically got rid of that so they could have one that was closer to the continuity of the the films, I guess. And I've still never seen Avengers Assemble. Yeah, the, the Earth, Earth's Mightiest Heroes; those are available in Canada on Blu-ray. So, if you want to get those seasons too, so I mean, and I think they might still be on Netflix since instant. They were for a while, both seasons. But so, yeah, that's that's our news for the week. We'll be back in a few seconds with our new trailers. Alright, and we are back with our new trailers for the week. We have two this week, one for Legends of Oz, Dorothy's Return, and another trailer for The Box Trolls. Uh, so the first one, John or John hasn't seen the trailer for Legends of Oz, because uh, the the version of Mr. Peabody you saw didn't have, didn't have any trailers in front of it. Uh, I, I guess we'll talk about the, the short in front of that, too, because I guess that could kind of be considered like a teaser for DreamWorks Home, but we'll get to that after these two. Uh, what did you think about the, the trailer, Stanford? Not much. Uh, I, I, you know, as as we've discussed before, Mark, I, I, it's cool that that I, you know I support all these different animation studios making a go of it. I think it's great because I think the more people making movies, the better product we get, and it's and and the 
the more things to see, and I, you know, and I'm all for it. Just this just doesn't look appealing. Why do we need another Wizard of Oz movie? Why do you know? Um, it's yeah, soup to nuts. I'm not 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 interested at all. Yeah. So, what did you think? Uh, it looked it looked like one of one of the films that you would assume would just be like sent like straight to like straight DVD, to DVD. Or Blu-ray. So it's interesting. And then I don't know if it was the production company that got renamed or if it's a different production company. Oh yeah, because I know yeah that that Clarius yeah. that was yeah I noticed that you know at the very end when they they put up all the all the credits and then the production companies and logos are at the bottom. Yeah. I noticed that that summertime entertainment was still okay. on the trailer, but it wasn't listed in any you know big letters or, or as a title. Interesting. Yeah. But yeah, I don't know. the The voice work was interesting for the the film too with the the cast that they have. Uh, they got some good talent. I mean, Dan, you know, Dan Aykroyd. And... Patrick Stewart is playing a tugboat. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 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 and then Oliver Platt. Like we were talking about, like we can't even think of like the last live action movie he was in. Uh, but and then uh, Leah Michelle is doing the voice of Dorothy. And then we got music from Brian Adams in the movie, though. Hooray! <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> I'm not I'm not sure if I'll end up going to see Legends of Oz in theaters. If I if I do, it'll be purely for this podcast. <laughs> so just yeah, we we'll watch it so you guys don't have to. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but I don't, I don't know. I mean, maybe it'll complete surprise us and it'll be an amazing movie. I don't know. But because sometimes trailers can just be cut together really ba- badly or really well and hide how either awesome a movie is or how bad a movie is. So I guess we'll have to, to wait to purely, uh, say what we think of the movie until it comes out in May. Uh, but the, the next one got me really excited for the box trolls from from Leica, it's uh, another musical-oriented teaser trailer for the film. A little more new footage from it. It's set to a new CeeLo Green song, which I'm assuming will probably be in, end up being in either like the opening credits or the the end credits of the film itself. Mm-hmm. But I, I'm really excited about. It. I like all the visuals that they're showing in, in these and the character designs, and I, I just like the the whole kind of aesthetic of of the Leica films. That they've put out so far, like Henry Selleck's Coraline, and then Paranorman was my favorite film the year that it came out, and then Box Trolls might end up being my favorite movie this year. I don't know, but it, it probably will be. But what, what did you think about the the teaser? I, I think it looks great. Uh, again, fun. The, yeah, the, the music was was a fun add on, and uh, the visuals are, are really inventive, really creative. This, this uh, world they've they've created looks very interesting, and uh, I, I'm excited about it too. And, and they do such nice work at, at like the studio uh, as well, you know, with their with their stop motion animation. So I'm looking forward to it. Looks great, definitely. And then all of us saw. I don't know if we can consider this a trailer or if we can consider it a short because it's kind of almost like a prequel to kind of both. Like the the movie that's coming out that is it's called Almost Home. And it's more or less kind of like what we have, I'm assuming happens before the, the film DreamWorks is releasing this November called Home. Uh, Steve Martin does the voice of the, the main character, now, which he's the president of of like this uh, little group of, of aliens. Uh, what, what did you guys think of it? Did you like the, the character designs and stuff in that? Or? 
John and then uh, Stanford. I haven't seen that one either. I'm oh, they didn't sorry. show that. They didn't show. Oh, that. they didn't show that. Oh, was that a short that was attached to it? Yeah. Oh no, I didn't get that. Oh man. Interesting. What? Yeah. Media screeners. Sometimes you get them. Sometimes you don't. Right. Right. It seemed to me that I wondered if this was. I just thought it was going to be attached to everything. You uh, know, every every screening. Uh, Every screening, regardless. Oh, man, Party what? Central better be attached to Muppets when I see that on Saturday, then. <laughs> oh, seriously. You have to... <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll pay to go, go see Muppets again if I have to see Party Central. Yeah, to see Party Central, <laughs> it's worth it. I'm, I'm going to take my nephew to see Mystery of Sherman, so I'll see it. Just I'm sorry okay. I didn't see it for this. That's right. But, yeah, what, what did you think about it, Stanford? Well, I thought it set up the story. Uh, honestly, I, it... I didn't think it was brilliant. I didn't think it was terrible. But you know, you you get to see these alien characters, and it had it had some clever a- a- animation. And at first, I was you know, I mean they they set it up like a short. I think for me, in my brain, I just kept thinking, "Where's the Rocky and Bullwinkle short? Where's the Rocky and Bullwinkle short?" <laughs> and so, in at first, I was thinking, well, "Okay, are the aliens going to be in a Rocky and Bullwinkle short?" You know, I mean, honestly, I was waiting for them to show up, and then they never did, and and I was disappointed. So, again, uh, it's okay. Well, it's, it's I think it sounds like it, or it looks like it sets up the story yeah. for uh, for home, and and we'll guess it's kind of we'll, we'll see. What did you think of it? I I thought it was interesting. I liked Steve Martin's vo- voice work on it, and I liked his his mustache or whatever. That was freaky. Yeah, that's like I don't I don't know what, what like if like it was little, supposed to be hair, if it looked like I don't know, like little leeches stuck to his leg. Like little yeah, growths. <laughs> That'd be interesting. Yeah, I'll we'll definitely have to ask you again, John, what, what you thought of it when you get. To yeah, this. I want to hear John's opinion on it too. But <laughs> yeah, it, I'm. It made me more interested in, in seeing the film. I coming out but it seemed more like a teaser like a like a good story kind of length like teaser trailer yes for the movie so we'll we'll see more with like with this one the they will see another trailer for it in a, a, month, a few months or so but yeah th- those are our trailers and and maybe short film for the week but we'll be back in a second with our recommendations Girls all over the world. Original King Julian for the case man. I love how all the girls move their body. And when you move your body, you know move it nice and sweet and sassy. Alright? Woman you cute and you don't need no makeup. Original cute body makeup on model. Woman you cute and you don't need no makeup. Original cute body makeup on model. Woman. Physically fit, physically fit, physically, physically, physically fit, woman, physically fit. All right, and we're back with our recommendations for the week. The my recommendations this week, I'm gonna recommend that you guys check out the the Lost Missions for, or if you haven't even seen any of the, the series, check out Star Wars: The Clone Wars because it's now on Netflix Instant. Uh, they just added the kind of kind of a season six, uh, which is more or less the 13 episodes that they had done when uh, Disney kind of shut down the the series production. Uh, so. I really enjoyed those. I liked some of the storylines they had going on there. They touch on a, a few things that uh, that they talk about in episode three. There's there's like a Order 66 oriented storyline, and then there's some storylines explaining 
uh, the whole conversation that Yoda has with Obi-Wan randomly at the end of episode three about, you know, the, the force ghost stuff. So, and then there's a bunch of other nice things in between that. So definitely I would say to check that out, especially if you're, if you're a fan of the series, if you haven't watched it yet, they have the, the 2008 movie on there as well. That kind of more or less kind of like a, a series premiere for the show. Uh, but yeah, I would definitely say check that out. I, I enjoyed it. And the other, the other thing that I wanted to check out, I found this, uh, when I was trying to find pictures to make my mom a, a birthday card like that the other week. Uh, but there's an, an anime series called Stitch, the anime series. And it takes place like, I, don't know, I think like 10 years or so after that Leroy and Stitch movie that Disney did. But apparently it's a, it's not, it's non canonical. So like anything that happens in, in this show doesn't really, hasn't really happened like in the Disney universe, but, uh, like Stitch ends up in Japan, you know, to make reference for why it would be anime style. Uh, but then like, and then Lilo's never really like talked about, it, I guess, until like season, until season three. And then she has, she has a kid and like, there's this whole thing. Uh, with with why Stitch left, but the the animation for it looked pretty interesting, and it's in HD. So there's three seasons available. There there is a US dubbed version and the original uh, Japanese subtitled version. So if you can find that, I would definitely say to check that out as well. Mark, I've never seen it. Uh, what does the animation look like? Do they do they follow kind of the same? It, it's like if character you, designs if, of if you mix original. Like uh, like a Walt Disney Animation Studios movie with a Studio Ghibli film style. Interesting. That's kind of what it looks like. Okay. But yeah, I would, I would definitely say to check out both of these. I, I enjoyed them a lot. John, what, what did you want to recommend? Yeah, I saw uh, last week was a very busy week for for not released movies for me. I saw a couple of uh, of a, a bigger ones coming out. Give a brief shout on both um first up was a uh, need for speed the new aaron paul movie based off the ea uh electronic arts video game um i really enjoyed it actually uh it's it's a lot better than i thought it would be the commercials made it look really cliched and cheap um the driving scenes were fantastic um and all of them were shot um with practical effects there were no cg no wire work it was these stuntmen were actually driving these cars um, which goes to say a lot when you watch the movie and see some of the crazy things that they do, um, all in real time, all practical. Um, story, give or take. I mean, it's it's kind of hokey. Um, really good performance by Michael Keaton as the monarch. Um, but uh, it's just, it's a really, it, it really surprised me. And uh, I hope people, fans of, of the game, will at least give it a shot because, you know, it's got that stigma of being a video game movie. But I really enjoyed it. I had a really fun time. And uh, I'll tell everybody to listen that you should really give it a shot. I think you'll enjoy it too. How was how Aaron Paul in the movie? Um, it's actually really good. I expected. I don't know. I didn't really know what to expect. To be honest with you, um, I know he was on Big Love, and then you know, obviously Breaking Bad. I got a kind of feeling of, of how he is as an actor. Um, you know, he's kind of a, a quiet loner, badass. Not as much say as uh, um, you know Ryan Gosling in Drive, but. Um, something happens for the first third of the movie that changes his entire perspective on life. And so, um, have you seen the trailers? He gets out of jail. Um, when he gets out of jail, he, he's very driven, pun intended, um, <laughs> to, to, um, to complete something, <laughs> trying to get anything away. But, um, 
he has really good banter with his friends. Um, he's 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 the moral compass in a movie like this, which is fun. But I, you know, I enjoyed his performance. Um, I hope he gets good roles. I hope he doesn't get typecast as the you know the Jesse Pinkman for the rest of his life because I think he can be a really good actor. Yeah, he's got another movie coming out uh, called Long Way Down. Which I think that's what it's called, but it's got like him and Pierce Brosnan and a, like t- a couple other people in it. But it's or it's about like four people that were gonna jump off top of a building and commit suicide, and they all kind of run into each other up there at the, the same time. So they kind of like form like this group of like self-help together. And I don't know if you guys have seen that trailer yet, but that looks like it'd be a interesting movie for him as well. And I'm looking forward to that too. That concept sounds pretty fantastic. Yeah. John, I'm so glad to hear that, that you like Need for Speed. I'm really excited to see it because it just I, I, the previews look kind of cheesy, but then the cars look so cool. I'm a right. Mustang fan, and uh, I understand oh, that the 2015 Mustang makes an appearance in, oh, in yes, the film too. <laughs> so I'm really it's, stoked. It's now, a now to hear. Car. Oh, I'm so glad to hear your reports. So thanks. I might be going to see it. Might be going to see it tomorrow night. So awesome. So Stanford, do you like the old movies like? Um, you know, Cannonball Run. Um, oh, absolutely. Uh, oh, then you'll love it because it's it's all it's all leading up to this big race that ha- secret race that happens in California. So that's what the whole thing is leading up to. So yeah, I, I got awesome. a very big vibe like like that. So okay. you'll love it. Oh, cool. And then you had another movie that you saw too. Yeah, this one. Um, you know, it's it's going to be huge. It's going to make billions of dollars. It's uh, it's divergent or divergent, as they say in the in the, the movie, based off the best-selling book by Veronica Roth. Um, uh, it's not for me. Uh, you know, I'm a 40-year-old man. Um, it uh, I think younger audiences were eating it up at the the media screener I was at. Every time the two leads, you know, their their hands touched, you know, fingers touched. Every girl in there gasped. It was uh, it was kind of ridiculous. You know the story. If you've read the book, you know the story. There's five factions. The lead character Triss gets into um, you know a faction because they're the coolest faction, of course. And then there's an underlying theme of bad things and political maneuvering and whatever. Um, story story was good. I don't think it was directed all that great, to be honest with you. But that's just me. Again, it's not for me. Every girl that was in that theater loved it. They were crying or laughing or applauding. Um, but, it, you know, it's divergent. It's, it's built in. It's got the audience. It's going to make a billion dollars. It's going to leave the box office for three or four weeks before Cap comes out, Cap 2. So, um, And if you like yeah. the spectacular now, it's got a little mini reunion in there with Shalane Woodley and uh, Miles Teller. <laughs> right. And actually, um, I got to sit down with Miles Teller and Jay right. Courtney. Um, they are actually the best part of the movie. And I think that's yes. the reason why um, Summit, Lionsgate Summit, is is pushing those guys around the country for media junkets because they're the best part of the movie. Both of their roles are the most rounded, most well-written parts in the entire movie. So if you have a, a teenage daughter or a young wife, you're probably going to be forced to see this. And uh, <laughs> you know, good luck. Um, there, there's enough there to, to you know, you know, entertain you. Just don't go in expecting something as deep or thought-provoking as um, Twilight. Well, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> the Harry Potter movies were were done really well. Yeah, I liked Harry Potter a lot. And so far, the Hunger Game movies are are doing really well with with what they can do. Um, 
last year, Beautiful Creatures. I never read the book or whatever. I really liked that movie, and I can't explain why. I was hoping this would be like that, and it wasn't. This one is just a little bit too out of my mental sphere. Um, so, but yeah, I mean, I saw it. It's it's good. Young girls, women are going to love it. Teenage boys will probably like it because I think it speaks to them more than it does me. But again, it was not made for me in any way, shape, or form. Nice. Uh, so then, what would you like to recommend this week, Stanford? So, keeping with the Frozen theme, uh, you know, Mark, we've been talking <laughs> how about how many how uh, many in a row is this, Stanford? Oh, I know it's pathetic. Sorry, but I I saw this and I just thought, oh, I, I got to share it in case uh, in case uh, people hadn't uh, hadn't seen it. But Mark, you know, I think in a previous podcast we had talked about how many just the countless, and most of them aren't that good, but the countless. Uh, videos that people have put on youtube that are covers of frozen songs particularly let it go you know the big the big power anthem from the from the movie that that also just won the uh oscar for best song but uh idina menzel who sings the role yeah (laughs) (laughs) have you been to that website that generates your john travolta name (laughs) yeah Yeah. Uh, i I was was like mia Bizarrant or something. Yeah, like that. <laughs> I was like standard cloink or something. But John uh, Heaney. Yeah, <laughs> I should have done it for the podcast to see what it would have done. Have done. But uh, on the Tonight Show, Jimmy Fallon and the Roots did did their own YouTube, you know, quote unquote YouTube video, and Idina Menzel actually sings that they uh, they uh, the Roots are using little toy instruments for it, but it totally works. You know, Idina rocks it as far as uh, as far as her vocals, and uh, you know Jimmy Fallon's so great. So uh, it's it's really fun if you haven't seen it. Put put a smile on your face. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. And then uh, if if you notice, I guess the the blocks that he has say L I G. He had borrowed those from his his daughter. Ah, <laughs> uh, really funny. Yeah, I I really enjoyed. It. I thought it was good. I think he he made a little bit. He made a, a joke about the about the whole thing with um, John Travolta at the Oscars too. Here, let's really quick. I'm gonna see what our name would be Travoltaized. Oh, cool. Alexander Fergus Furz Furz uh, That's what animation fascination Travoltaized. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, the new name for the podcast. Alexander Ferguson. Can't even like this. But and then we'll be we'll be back in a few seconds with our main topic this week, with which is our interview with Jason Schleifer, who is the head of character animation on Mr. Peabody Instrument that just recently came out. And we'll get his recommendation at the end of that interview as well. So we'll be back in a few seconds with our main topic, guys. Diamond sitar, steel drums, trombone, xylophone, djembe, calliope, oboe, piccolo, tuba, dobro, slide whistle, yodeling, hurdy-gurdy, ocarina, harmonium, musical song. You know what? This has been great, but a complete waste of time. All right, and we're to our main topic for the episode, talking with Jason Schleifer, who is the head of character animation on Mr. Peabody and Sherman at DreamWorks Animation. Thank you for coming on again, Jason. 
thank you very much, Mark. It's awesome to be here. Uh, and you're also, uh, we didn't get to see it yet, but you're also the head of character animation on the Rocky and Bullwinkle short, too. Yeah, that's correct. So we're really looking forward to seeing that eventually. I know John's really excited to see that. <laughs> More than you know. You're a Rocky and Bullwinkle fan, John? Um, I have a Bullwinkle tattoo on my arm. Uh, wow. I'm a big fan. Yeah. Awesome. Is it a giant tattoo? Not really. Um, I've actually showed it to Jay Ward's um, widow, wife. Um, she's gone now as well, but uh, I met a couple of the wards and showed her my tattoo. I'm, to say I'm a fan is a little bit of an understatement. <laughs> You're an all-caps fan. Yeah, all-caps fan. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, I guess to, to go right into this, what got you interested in animation in the first place? Um, well, I've sort of, I've, I've always loved animation. Uh, it's one of those things where, you know, growing up watching Saturday morning cartoons with uh, the Bugs Bunny shorts and... Um, you know, Tex Avery and all that kind of stuff. Like, I just was absorbed in it. I just wake up as early as I could on Saturdays and just be like, ah, cartoons. Um, and it was one of those things that I just really enjoyed all the time. Um, I would do, you know, in, in elementary school, I would do little comic strips and just drawings and stuff like that. In uh, in junior high, I did my first sort of stop motion animation. We had some assignment where we had to make a character um, walk across the screen for some reason. It was like a history class, but my friends and I decided to do it with animation. And so we had this little clay character and we got a, in a 16, no, like a little eight millimeter camera or 16 mil camera, one of some sort of millimeter camera, <laughs> one of those old, old timey things with like actual film that you had to develop. Um, and I had this guy like animated him standing up and walking across the screen and of course, not knowing what I was doing, there was no armature or anything, and it was really hot with the lights. So by the time he got over, it was just this giant melted mass of, of clay. Um, but there was something about like the first time he stood up and I watched it and started moving. It was like, oh, it's alive! Ah, it's so awesome. Uh, and and yeah, and I just always loved I loved drawing and I loved animation. So it was something I was always interested in. Um, wasn't very good. Technically, at drawing, you know, like my drafting skills were not the best, but I didn't really care. I just liked to do it. Nice. Who, um, who, or what were some of your inspirations and influences, you know, for animation? What what drove you? You mentioned Tex Avery. Um, yeah. What What else inspired you? Well, Tex and Chuck, the uh, the way that they their their storytelling ability and their sense of timing was a huge inspiration. I think. The fact that I used to watch it so much when I was a kid, um, the, just the rhythm and the textures that they put into the timing of their animation has kind of like seeped into my subconscious. So for me, like when I'm watching an animation and there's a texture, like this, just a sense of time of how somebody moves and the arcs that they move, when it gets close to what those guys did, it like just in my heart, it feels good. It's a really weird thing to say, but it's just like, it feels comfortable. It feels like, Oh, that's what I want. And it, when I see animation that doesn't do that, it, it actually hurts. It's, it's really strange. Um, but th so those guys were a huge inspiration. Uh, seeing what Pixar did early on, uh, I remember, I think I was 17 when I went and saw Luxo Jr. Um, that was just like mind boggling, like to see this, this inanimate lamp, you know, these two characters actually connect with each other and emote was like, that's what I want to do. Oh, my God. <laughs> You know, so they they're a huge inspiration. Um, or those those short, early shorts were a huge inspiration. Uh, I think um, actually 
what was kind of exciting was when I saw Ghostbusters in the 80s, um, that film terrified me, mainly because of the ghost dogs. Like, those things are so freaky. I used to go to bed at night, and I wouldn't turn over because I knew that one of them would be right next to me. Like, I'd turn my eyes. And then when I went went to Weta and uh, worked on Lord of the Rings, the animation director was Randy Cook, who was the guy who did those ghost dogs. And so, like, you know, I met him, and and he's like, yeah, yeah, you know, I worked on Ghostbusters and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, you did the ghost dogs? You scared the crap out of me, you bet. But it was... It was really neat seeing that there is something that can actually pull an emotion out of you that was not real. You know, it's just somebody putting it there and just you know, saying, this frame is going to be this, this frame is going to be this. And you string all these frames together and you pull emotion out of somebody and you make them feel something. Um, so I just was always really inspired by that. Very cool. So speaking of Weta, what, what took you to New Zealand and, and your work on the Lord of the Rings trilogy? You guys want the long story? Sure, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> okay, so before Weta, I was working um, at Alias Wayfront in in Santa Barbara. I went to school at UCSB, and uh, they had a the art department there had a great relationship with with um, Alias Wayfront, and I was able to go and intern there and learn Maya from the early early stages. So Maya is a three D animation package that's used pretty much throughout the industry now. But when I started at Alias Wayfront, it was brand new. There was nobody who knew it at all. And I was my job was basically to go and learn how to use it and then travel to different companies that were thinking about adopting Maya and show them what we were doing and talk to them about how to use it. Um, so I got a really great education in, in trying to understand how to solve problems that studios are having. Uh, and then I would, you know, I'd be like, oh, okay, you need to rig up Mighty Joe Young to run around. So here's how you make a leg that can move, and here's how you skin the body so that the, the geometry deforms correctly and stuff. Um, so I was spending a lot of time doing that at Alias Boyfriend. And then a friend of mine who was working in the support department for Alias Boyfriend uh, said that there was a company in New Zealand that was going to be working on Lord of the Rings and that I should go and apply for it. And I was like, oh, you know, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> you know? And he's like, fine, you should do it. I was like, oh, all right. So I went online. Weta had like a little online uh, application form you could fill out. And I sort of filled out the form and then went back to my job, which at that time uh, we were preparing for a giant conference called NAB or National Association of Broadcasters, which happens every year in Vegas. And what we would do is we would go and bring the latest version of the software and demonstrate it for people. And in order to actually build these demos that we would give to people, it was about three months of Really, really hard work, just you know, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, trying to make the software look like it could do more than it could at the time and you know, figure out how we could demonstrate new techniques that were going to be in the final or in the next version of the software, but it was still really buggy. So we had to find our, you know, these very specific pathways around demonstrations so that it, things wouldn't crash. Um, and we were trying to do it by actually creating little animated shorts and stuff like that. So we were working really, really hard on that. When I got a call from uh, John Shields and Charlie McClellan, who were the uh, digital effects and visual effects supervisors at the time, and they said, "You know, we're going to be down in L.A. Why don't you come on down and uh, and have an interview and see what we're doing?" And I was like, "Nah, it's okay. I'm too busy." <laughs> they're like, they're "Like, no, no, come down." I was like, "You know, I'm going to Vegas soon. I'm, I'm really busy." And they're like, "Come down." So I said, "All right, all right." So I I drove down to L.A. and uh, met with the guys in their hotel room, and they showed me a video of. Uh, Gollum turnaround. They had like 
done a model and just done like a 360 spin and add some rough textures on it. Um, and they talked a little bit about their pipeline and what they were working on. And so we chatted for a little bit about the show. And I think the interview lasted for like a half an hour or something. And then I drove back up to Santa Barbara, finished working on the demo for NAB, and then went to NAB and uh, did, the, did the presentations there. And I was doing these backroom demos where a lot of software companies, what they'll do is they'll, they'll have their front room demos, which are the, the demos on the big stages where it's like in the general conference center. And so anyone can kind of wander around and see what the companies are doing. But then they'll have these backroom demos for key customers where they'll bring them in and it's a much more intimate situation where instead of having, you know, competing for sound with, you know, all the other software vendors, you've got just maybe 100 people in a room and um, you can ask questions and stuff like that. And so I was demoing in there and in the front row was John, who had one of the guys that I interviewed with. So I tried to act super, super smart and, uh, you know, sound really intelligent while giving the demo. And um, and then afterwards, he gave me his business card and invited me back to his hotel room to uh, for the next morning. So I went the next morning, and um, to make a, a very long story short, a little bit shorter, he uh, he showed me some of the work that they were doing, and it was really impressive. And then he gave me he basically said, you know, we'd love you to come here as a character technical director. And the character TD is the person who basically sets up all the controls for the animation department. So they take the model that doesn't move put in all the bones, um, control how the skin is going to deform as the bones bend, sets up, you know, well, what sorts of controls do you want to grab the hand and move it over here? And what kind of controls do you want to bend the fingers and stuff like that? So they do all that. And uh, he hired me to do that. And I was like, I was really unsure if I wanted to go all the way to New Zealand to do it because it was pretty far away. And I'd been in Santa Barbara for like eight years. And um, I was ready to get into production working on films, but I wasn't sure if I was ready to leave. California. Uh, I had an offer to come to PDI, Pacific Data Images, up in Palo Alto, which is where I grew up, as a character technical director. But I was kind of like, okay, do I move back home or do I go to New Zealand? And so I was totally unsure of what to do. And my buddies and I had finished, finished working in Vegas. We decided to drive down through the desert. And uh, while we were driving down, there was some sand dunes over on the side. So we pulled over and we're like, let's run up the sand dunes. Yay. So we're running up the sand dunes and I'm sitting there trying to figure out what to do with my life. Cause I'm like, you know, this is a, I'm at a crossroads. What am I supposed to do? And up at the top of the sand dunes were these two guys sitting on a blanket. One of them was drinking a glass of red wine and the other guy's eating an apple. And I went, well, I, you know, I'm making a giant decision with my life about my future. I might as well ask these random people what I should do. So I sit down and I'm like, you know, Mr. Men with a glass of red wine sitting in the desert for some odd reason what should I do with my life? And I explained the whole situation to him. And he's like, well, why not go? And I couldn't come up with a good argument why I shouldn't go. Because <laughs> I was like, well, because, you know. And I realized, like, if I went and I didn't like it, I could always make another choice to do something else, right? This is, this is like an opportunity to do something completely different and really seemingly, you know, unsafe. It's like outside the bubble of what I had planned for my life. So I was like, all right, I'll do it. Yay! And I ran down the sand dunes, past the dead cow, got back in the car, and um, <laughs> I went home and called my mom and told her I was moving to New Zealand, and she cried. And then, uh, yeah, and then I went over to New Zealand. And so it was, it was amazing. Like, getting over there, um, when I did, you know, Weta was pretty small at the time. There was, like, maybe 20, 25 people. So we had, um, you know, we had all of our company meetings in the kitchen. And, uh, and now it's, you know, thousands of people. It's, it was, it's a huge difference. Oh. So, so that was oh, how I got 
<laughs> what are so with working on like the Lord of the Rings films? What are some of the production differences in like working on an animation for a live action film like that as compared to now with your job at, at DreamWorks working on fully animated films? Um, so some of the differences, at least in terms of the animation style, the start of any shot is pretty similar, regardless of whether you're doing motion capture or keyframe animation. Um, the, the key elements in the beginning are you really try and want to figure out what is the point of the shot in the film. You know, doing any shot can take a really, really long time. Uh, you know, it can take weeks to get a shot finished. So you want to make sure right in the beginning you know why the shot is there and what the intent is for the characters, what sort of beats you're trying to hit physically and emotionally, um, and what you want to communicate to the audience. So regardless of which, which style it is, you want to figure that out. Um, and then if you're doing motion capture or animation, again, you want to, the, the first thing you want to do is make sure that those ideas are coming through clearly in a very, very rough stage. So in keyframe animation, we tend to do what we call blocking, which is um, in something called stepped curves, which means we're, we're basically creating a pose and then holding it for a series of frames and then creating another pose and just letting, instead of letting the, the computer interpolate between those two poses, like let's say I set a pose on frame 101 and then a pose on frame 110, normally the computer would just sort of do a, an interpolative blend between 101 and 110 and let the character sort of drift between those two. But what we do is we say, I'm going to have a pose on frame 101, and then I'm going to hold that pose for frames 102, 103, 104, all the way to frame 110. So at just under half a second, the character is just going to pop to this new pose. It's kind of like if you're doing drawing, and you draw one pose, and then you just click the camera a bunch of times, and then you draw another pose, and it just pops to that. Um, so we'll do that to try and get what we call our, our golden poses or our key storytelling poses. To say, you know, this is this is the intent of this moment in the film or in this shot. This is the intent of this moment, and the reason why we do it with those stepped poses like that is because you don't get distracted by movement that doesn't necessarily feel right or weight that doesn't feel right. You can really, really focus on does this pose communicate the idea that you want. So we'll do that with the with the keyframe stuff. With um, motion capture, um, I didn't. I, we didn't do a lot of motion capture on the early films. We, we did use some of it, um, but you tend to do more about uh, how does this feel. So you're sort of like throwing in the movement and you're not refining anything. You're just, you're just trying to get the ideas in there as quick as possible. Um, so what we try and do early on is we just want to say, okay, here's, here's what the intent is, and I'm going to put it on the character, make sure they're moving in the right space, uh, and then show that to the director and get their feedback. Then after that, that's where sort of the, the visual effects and the keyframe animation um, or fully animated feature films can kind of diverge a bit. Uh, and it's really like what what direction are you going in terms of how detailed and how much, how believable are you trying to make the movement? Uh, and what's your end sort of polished goal? So like for visual effects, you're really, really polishing to try and make things look organic and match the live action world. So you're going to be focusing a lot on weight and a lot on um, inertia of the characters and making sure that everything just feels consistent. With something that's super cartoony like Peabody and Sherman, you're really focusing on clarity and trying to make sure that things don't feel like they hold and, and die because like, as soon as something holds for too long, it can feel like it just loses its life. But you also don't want to make it too busy and distracting. So we're polishing towards that. And with something more like um, How to Train Your Dragon, which I haven't animated on, but I'm a huge fan of, 
they're doing sort of a between those two where they're they're getting really great believable organic organic motion but they are also really interested in keeping their poses really clean and keeping their movement really finessed very cool does that answer the question yeah <laughs> awesome so so what brought you to dreamworks animation so i was on i was at weta for about uh four years or so from 99 till the end of 2003 and um I was having a great time. I went in as a character TD, like I was saying, and then halfway through the pre-production process, um, Randy saw me doing some animation tests, and he asked if I wanted to uh, animate on the film, which was always my goal. Like I always, always wanted to animate. So to get a chance to actually animate was phenomenal. Um, so I moved over to animation, but while I was animating, I was also supporting all of the tools that I'd written as a character TD. So I was doing a lot of of both animation and technical stuff, which, which is really interesting and fun and you know kept my brain engaged, but I didn't feel like I had a chance to really dive into character development and just pure animation. Um, and I knew that at DreamWorks, they had a very proprietary pipeline, so that if I went to DreamWorks as an animator, there was no way I'd be able to do any sort of technical work because I just didn't know how they did it. And so I could be a complete idiot, you know, and just totally focused. So. Uh, after being in New Zealand for over four years, I was I was ready for a change, ready to do something different. And I knew that you know coming to DreamWorks would be a chance to just totally learn from people who had been animating for a long time and just focus. Um, and so I applied, and luckily enough, was able to get a spot. What was the process like then at DreamWorks? You you began uh, as an animator on Madagascar, and, and now you're the head character, uh, the head of character animation on Mr. Peter. Mr. Peabody and Sherman. What was that process like for you, Jason? It was awesome. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, it's, it's cool. DreamWorks is, ex you know, incredibly supportive of their talent. They, um, they try really hard not to just hire for a particular job. They want to hire for a career. And when I came here, um, the head of animation on Madagascar is uh, Rex Grignon. And he is one of those guys that when he sees people who have a, a skill at something, or a talent, and it's he, he like really knows how to nurture it and help them grow. Um, it was a great example of a manager who doesn't squash people to try and keep himself up. He just lifts people up. So, you know, as soon as I came in, he was like, welcome to the show. It's great to have you here. Here are some tests. Let's go. And everything I was doing, he was just so encouraging and supportive. It was amazing. And then the studio itself is, as well is just really supportive of everything that we were doing. Um, so I, you know, I animated on Madagascar and I learned from some amazing people. Uh, you know, Dave Burgess was on Madagascar at the time. He's now one of the, one of the other heads of character animation over here. I think my supervising animator was Denis Couchon, who is this brilliant 2D animator who's, who's also been doing 3D and he just, you know, he, I would show him st shots and he just doesn't hold back at all. Like he really lets you know if something's working and if it doesn't and, uh, helps you get there, you know, draw over your shots, and he's just like, no, do it like this and this and this. So it was an amazing learning experience. Um, and I, so I animated on that, and then animated on Shrek the Third, did some pre-production work on um, Monsters vs. Aliens, and because uh, I, you know, having had character TD experience before, it's really helpful early on when you're working on a show to have somebody who can communicate with the people who are rigging the characters. So, you know, we can actually talk about how the inverse kinematics are supposed to work and what sorts of controls we need and stuff. So I was able to do that for a bit. And then on Madagascar 2, um, they needed some 
some more uh, animation supervisors. And Rex and I had had a really great relationship on Madagascar. Uh, we understood each other. I also had a good relationship with the directors, uh, both Tom, Tom McGrath and Eric Darnell, who are the directors for Madagascar and Matt too. And um, like it, we seemed to click and really understand what the characters needed. So Rex asked me to supervise on Mad 2. So I was like, oh, okay. So I stepped up and started supervising. And it was that sort of a strange transition to go from being an artist to a somewhat manager. Because when you're supervisor, you're responsible not just for your own work, but for the work of everybody that you're working with. And your level of, of whether or not you're doing a good job is whether or not you're making the people around you better. And that's making that mental shift from I'm responsible for what I'm producing to I'm responsible for what everyone else is producing and not controlling it, but allowing them to grow and to become better and sort of like giving away that recognition to them and really supporting them is kind of a hard mental shift to do. And Rex was really supportive about helping me kind of make that transition. Uh, so I, I supervised on Mad 2 for a little while and then... There was a new show coming in uh, called Megamind, and the other head of character animation up at DreamWorks had, or up at PDI, had just left. That was Tim Chung, and he went to go work on Astro Boy, uh, and so he left. And there was, you know, Rex was busy working on Madagascar Two, and there was nobody available to be head of animation on on Megamind. Um, and I knew that the directors were going to be coming up to visit, so I thought, well, this could be a really cool opportunity. You know, I'm really enjoying getting mentored from Rex and learning what this is about. And I think it'd be really fun to sort of take this idea of supervising a small group of animators and trying to help them get better and actually make that bigger and help an entire team of animators get, get better and, you know, really have some influence over the story and the design style and the animation style. So I, I thought about, you know, if I was going to be directing a film and I was going to be partnering with somebody, what would I want them to do to get on board with my vision for the film. And I realized that it's helpful to know kind of what their inspiration is and what they like. So I put together a little video reel of all the shots that, from various animated films that inspired me and reminded me of what they were going to be doing on Megamind and um, what kinds of things I thought would be really useful. And I sort of put this reel together and I sent it to the directors, which were Kyle and Cam uh, at the time. We went, went through a couple different directors on Megamind. Uh, and they, you know, they looked at the reel. They, we talked about why I liked certain things and what the goals were. And then they offered me the position to be head of animation on that. So I, you know, <laughs> so I was like, okay. So I quickly moved over to head of animation. And then that shift as well is a, is a really, really major hard transition to make. Because all of a sudden you go from, you know, you're going from managing yourself to managing a group of maybe five people to now managing 50 um, and you're still an artist, so you're still trying to create and and design and figure out, you know, what do we want this film to look like? But you're also thinking on a broader level and managing relationships between departments and people and stuff like that. So they, so DreamWorks, um, they, they again, they were super supportive, and they actually got me a coach who I would meet with every week or two, and just, you know, it was great. He'd come in and be like, "So, how's it going today?" And I'd be like, "I don't know how to handle my schedule. Gosh, I want to animate, but I'm in meetings for ten hours a day." And, uh, you know, I could just sort of throw ideas at him and then we would bounce around ideas and, and solutions. Um, and it was amazing. It was, it was a really great learning experience. And uh, it's been a phenomenal journey. So I've, I've been able to be head of animation on that. And then, uh, um, and then you know, I was continuing that on the Peabody and Sherman show and the, and the Rocky and Bullwinkle short. 
So as as the head of character animation, what does your role require you to do like on on each film? What are your responsibilities? So it sort of changes throughout the course of production. Um, early on in production, the idea is to try and help define what the animation style is going to be, what the characters are going to look like, um, how they're going to move, and um, really get a sense for what types of things the director is looking for in terms of helping tell the story with movement and performance. So what we'll do is, is early on, myself, the production designer, um, the director of previs, the visual effects supervisor, and the art director, uh, will get together and we meet quite a bit just to try and understand the visual language of what we're going to use on the film. So like on Peabody, that was David James, uh, who's the production designer, Kent Secchi was the director of previs, Tim Lamb was the art director, and Philippe Denis was the visual effects supervisor. And so we had this um, visual story structure meeting where we would just get together and just We'd look at the script, and then we would start throwing out ideas on how we could tell the story visually. And that was, you know, everything from lighting to set design to movement to texture to everything, you know. And it's a really fun. It's a fun process that at that moment because all you're doing is getting as many ideas out as you can to try and see what feels right. So it's there's like just anything is possible. You're just like blah, throwing as much as you can out at it, and it's it's awesome. So you know, during that early time, we'll start getting characters designed and and getting those into the character rate system so we can do animation tests. Um, so, you know, early on I'm doing a lot of performance tests and facial expression tests and talking to other animators to see what excites them, talking to the director to understand how they give feedback and how they want things to move. Uh, and then as we get closer to being able to start production, it's all about making sure that we have libraries for the characters so that when we bring animators on, they have shapes that are on model and faces that they can use. Uh, we're creating a lot of documentation that says, this is how the, the show is going to go, where you know, you're going to get your shot. These are some questions you can ask. This is, um, this is how we show shots and dailies. Once the director uh, approves something, this is your process for finishing it up so we can send it on to the other departments. Uh, so we're setting up a lot of sort of just workflows for, for how the show can go once we get moving. And then just really trying to figure out how I can best support the animators as they come onto the show so that they can be successful and, and get a great relationship with the director. Um, and then once we're actually moving and, and doing production, I'm, I'm the guy who's sort of uh, running dailies in terms of making sure that the, the shots are being presented to the director in a way that they understand, um, working with the animators on a day-to-day -day basis uh, to interpret the director's notes, doing drawovers to try and help push their ideas and, and make them stronger. Um, I'm also sort of a, a coach and a mentor for people as they have issues and questions about their career. They'll come and talk to me about that. And then on occasion, when there's time, I actually get to animate again as well. Nice. So it's sort of like, yeah, so it's, it's early on, it's more from the artist side of thing. And then later on in the show, it's more on the manager side with a little bit of artist thing. And the reason for that is... I feel like if I can set the show up early on well so that the animators can come on and not worry about the process for anything but can just really focus on the performance and their craft, they're going to get so good that by the end of the show, as many of them as possible are going to be just super into it. They'll have a great relationship with the director and we'll be able to go and just we'll fly through the film as fast as we can. Nice. Very cool. Okay, so for this next question, um, I'm going to try to ask it as nicely as possible because I'm deeply, deeply heartbroken. 
but Ooh. when can we expect to see the Rocky and Bullwinkle short? <laughs> Everyone keeps asking that. Um, I think the studio is trying to find the right venue for it right now. Uh, you know, it's done and it's great. And uh, we got to work with uh, Gary Trousdale for it, who is awesome. He's a direct, one of the directors on Beauty and the Beast. Um, and he's a super, super nice guy. Really, really fun to work with. And uh, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to it being out there. I think they're going to look for a few limited places to release it, but I haven't heard officially yet where it's going to be. But it was, it was fun to work on, especially, you know, having June in there as one of the voices. It's like, that's such a, such a coup to be able to be like, oh, my God, I'm animating to this person's voice who's been doing this character for over 50 years. Like, that's insane. It's so cool. You know, just, ah, oh, it's great. I hope so. Hopefully you'll be able to see it soon. I hope so. <laughs> How long did it take the overall production for Mr. Peabody and Sherman? Well, what? Um, How, for the production, well, the, the film itself from when Rob started working on it, I think was 12 years is what he was saying, which is oh, wow. quite a long time. I've been on it since February 2011. So, you know, just over three years um, from my perspective. But the production, that's that's a lot of pre-production time, though. Or not a lot, you know, about a year, <laughs> 18 months pre-production time or so. Uh, so for animation, I think we're about 18 months, maybe 19 months. Uh, did you ever did you ever watch the Rocky and Bullwinkle and Friends show while you were growing up? Oh, totally. Yeah. It, well, it's funny. It's like I I used to watch it growing up, and when I found out we were doing it, I was like, "Oh, that's great! I totally remember this." And then I went back and rewatched it, and I was like, "I don't remember any of these these like through lines." Like, there's you know, it's a it's a very episodic show, and I had no idea growing up that it was so episodic. So it was kind of neat, like watching it again and being like, "Oh, oh wow." Like I maybe when you know when I was watching it in reruns, they were just showing different pieces from different times, or I was just you know right. too young to really catch what was going on. But it, uh, but I do definitely remember watching it all the time, and I totally remembered Peabody and Sherman, the characters themselves, and Fractured Fairy Tales, and and all that. Nice. Yeah. Um, I know Stanford said this in the very beginning, and uh, I don't even know if it was on on mic or not, but uh, I totally agree. Um. The, the, I felt the best part of, of Mr. Peabody and Sherman was in the character design. And um, I put that in my published review, actually. Well, how did you, you know, how did you come up with the, the those CG designs based on the, those 2D, scratchy, really, really cheap designs from the original shorts? And by cheap, you mean wonderful, right? <laughs> wow. I, you um, know I love it. <laughs> yeah, no, no, they're cool. Um, a lot of that was really uh, David the production designer and Tim, the art director, working together with Rob to, to come up with something that we all really liked. Um, they had a couple different character designers, and I think Joe Mosier did quite a bit of character design work on some of the characters. But Tim, I believe, is the one who designed Sherman. And I think what they did was they looked at the originals for inspiration and tried to understand, you know, what are some of the key design elements that worked really well in the original design. And if you look at, at the characters themselves and also the backgrounds of what was happening with the mid-century modern art aesthetic, there's a, a lot of great graphic quality in there and um, pushing for sort of simplicity and elegance in the design where you're trying to just boil down a core idea. So they looked at a lot of the, the poses that were in there and a lot of the, the way that the lines flowed together and just sort of said, okay, we want to we want to follow this idea, but we also need to make sure that these characters can connect with the audience 
um, for, you know, for 90 minutes. So we did things like, you know, making their eyes a little bit more expressive and made sure that we can actually emote, you know, and, and make the characters move in 3D and make them work. But we still wanted to reference the classic style. So a lot of what we were doing with the posing of the characters was trying to get like very, very clean lines that go like for Mr. Peabody from the back of his head all the way down through his body and then into the legs without any sort of harsh angles cutting things off and, and looking at, you know, graphically his face, um, you know, he's, he always looks best when he's at like a, either a three quarter or profile or just a, a little bit off. Like he never really looks the best when he's looking straight at camera. So we had to come up with techniques to be able to bend his muzzle around so that you could always see his eyes really clearly and always get a really nice clean silhouette. Uh, you know, a lot of it is is just spending a lot of time crafting the poses to try and reference the the clarity in the, in the posing and the designs that they had in the original show. How closely did you work with with uh, director Rob Minkoff during the production? We were pretty close. Um, that's one of the things that actually as head of animation is a lot of fun is my job when the director's not around is to sort of be his eyes and, and his voice. So early on in the show, I'll sit there and I'll just watch how he responds to different things that he sees, like different animations and, and uh, how he responds to the visual representation, like all the stuff that David is showing and then try and understand what sorts of things he likes and doesn't, and doesn't like. Um, and that's different for every single director. So it's really cool to sort of switch your brain around and be able like, okay, Tom McGrath really likes this, and this is what he focuses on, and Rob really likes this. So early in the show, I'm spending a ton of time just observing him and talking to him about stuff. Um, once we start production, we're very fortunate in that we get to meet with Rob twice a day. Uh, we see him once in the morning for dailies, where the animators get a chance to show their shots to him and to Alex Schwartz, the one of the producers, Denise Casino, the other producer, to me and to the head of layout and then all the other animators who are going to be in daily. So they, they put their work up. It's a little intimidating. You know, you're like, here is my art. Please tell me that you love it. <laughs> um, but they're, you know, so we meet with them in the morning and then we do the same thing again in the afternoon where we can meet and show their work. And so animators have, have an opportunity usually twice a day to meet with him and get their notes and get feedback. Um, he was mostly down in Los Angeles during the, during the time. So our LA crew got to meet with him, uh, physically a lot more than the crew in, in Redwood city, but DreamWorks has gotten really good about handling cross-site shows. So we've got video conference rooms set up and the, the whole process is pretty well dialed in where we can have one movie brought up on both computers and we can scrub back and forth and everyone's seeing the same thing. Uh, we record the daily sessions every single time we show it. And when we're recording, we have the movie showing up in the top part of the screen. We've got a picture of Rob in the bottom right and then the picture of the animator and me in the bottom left. And so they, the animators can actually call that video up back at their desk as soon as they're out of dailies and be able to scrub through and, and really you know, get to see all the notes in great detail. Um, so the interaction with him was, was quite extensive. Very cool. Uh were there any characters or like historical f figures that, that were going to be in the movie but ended up having to be cut out at all? Yeah, unfortunately, there were a few. Um, the biggest one is Freud. We had we had this great scene done with Freud, and uh, you know, Mr. Peabody unsure about his relationship with Sherman, and um, it just it was really hurting the flow of the film. It just it was like happening and just sort of slowed things down and, and didn't really. You know, it wasn't really necessary to tell the story, so we ended up having to cut that. 
Uh, but he was a great character. That was Mel Brooks was playing him, and uh, the the reads were just awesome. It was super fun. Just, oh, I'm, I'm hoping that that scene will show up in the DVD extras oh, yeah. or something because, like, there's this great moment where um, Mr. Peabody is talking and the camera's pulling back past Freud who's writing in his notebook, and you can barely see it, but in the notebook are drawings of like bananas and skyscrapers. And stuff. <laughs> 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 it's so subtle. It's great. Uh, he was he was fun. And actually, we we um, uh, Mark Renicky, who's one of the animators here, was was the main animator on Freud. Um, I think he might have done, he did most of the shots of Freud, actually. And he actually researched the way Freud would sit and how he would hold himself to try and make it feel as close to Freud as possible. Uh, so it was kind of fun, like, really figuring him out and making him this, this great extreme character. But, you know, DVD extras, hopefully. Nice. Melbrook ended up doing the voice of Einstein, though, too, didn't he? Right. Yeah, totally. Because, you know, if we weren't going to have him as Freud, we had to have him in the movie. I mean, yeah. he's such a... So it was. I'm, I'm really glad that we were able to do that. And I think we ended up going back and reanimating a couple of shots to make sure that he fit in there because um, he wasn't in some of the shots at the end uh, when we first did them. But then as soon as we dropped the other sequence and we were going to have him in as, as Einstein, it was like, okay, let's put him in the shot. Let's just do it. Come on. Nice. So, cool. How much input did the, the War Estate, you know, Tiffany especially, have in, the, in, in, in your character designs of these iconic characters it's a good question um i'm not sure if if tiffany gave a ton of feedback or not on the designs i know we worked with her quite a bit to make sure that she was happy with what was going on uh we showed her we did a number of meetings with her we were we would just show her the work that we were working on and um she was extremely wonderful to work with like actually on the rocky and bullwinkle short it was great we showed her some stuff and she had some notes for us on how bullwinkle's ears were posed um and just basically said you know, if you look back at the old ones, we used to always have them hanging down just because it felt right. And it was like, oh, yeah, you're totally right. we got to do that. So we'd go in and make certain tweaks. Um, but she was really, really collaborative and very open to us bringing ideas to the whole thing. But, uh, yeah, I don't know if – I don't think she actually had any, any like, no, it has to be looking like this. You know, we, we all really wanted to be referential to the original, and we really loved it. So – we weren't going to go in and be like, okay, you know, Mr. Peabody is going to be a Basset Hound now, you know, or, or whatever. Like, we, we didn't want to change any of that. We really wanted to, to make it feel like the original as close as we could, but just updated for, for 3D. Nice. Very of cool. All, of all the characters and all the films you've worked on, you, do you have a favorite? Yeah. Um, I think Sherman is my favorite of all the characters. And it, there's, he's my favorite for two reasons. One is the design. I think Tim did an amazing job. Um, and I think the character TDs did a really great job as well, making sure that his face can emote as well as it does. And it's so flexible and chewy. And, you know, it's just great. <laughs> it's just such a cool looking face. He's a fun character to pose. I think Max's voice is amazing. Mm -hmm. um, you know, when we're animating Sherman, we can look at the video reference of Max Charles doing the voice and see how his lips are moving around his teeth. And it's just so inspiring. He's such a great kid. Uh, and so he's, you know, visually, I think he's a really stunning character and just a lot of fun. And, and then also in terms of his attitude, he's this, he's just this really optimistic, energetic, and sincere child. Like, there's no, there's no sarcasm in him. There's nothing... There's no, like, strange, weird motivations that he's got for anything. He's just an optimistic guy who loves his dad and is just a good kid, you know? He's, he, he likes learning. He likes, he likes seeing things. You know, he's a little bit terrified of flying, 
but not because he can't do it, but because he's, or not because he's afraid of heights, but because he wants to please his dad and he wants to, to be a good kid. And maybe, maybe I like him because I've got two kids and I want them to be like that too. <laughs> uh, you know, but he's just, I don't know, he's just a real joy. He's, he's, a, he's one of those kids that's like, I really want to know this guy because he's just a nice guy. So, yeah, he's, he's my favorite. I, I love working with him. It's kind of like as we were coming to the end of the film, it was like, oh, I'm not ready to be done with this guy yet. He's so, <laughs> you know? I guess you guys yeah. have to do a sequel then. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah my, my son, after we watched the movie, told me it was his favorite DreamWorks movie. So. Oh, that's really sweet. He he liked seeing it with me too because he thought he's like that was a good movie for you and I to see since it was a father and son movie. Oh my God, Did, so, how old's your son? He's he's eight right now. He'll be nine in November. Jeez. Oh, that's perfect age. Yeah. Did was, you give him a big hug and start crying? Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. There, yeah. There's there's parts of the movie where I was crying like with yeah with the way like the Mr. Peabody was feeling. So. Oh, that's but, awesome. Yeah. Yeah. We. I went and saw the film on Saturday with a bunch of students in uh, Colorado. And it was really cool seeing it without anyone who had actually worked on it. That was the first time I'd been able to see it in that way. And um, the moment at the end where Mr. Peabody says, you know, I love you, Sherman. Like, literally the entire row behind me was like, aww. Thank <laughs> 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 you. Yeah, those, those moments for me are, are amazing. Um, somebody asked me what my favorite moments were in the film once. And I was, I said, the... For me, there's like a lot of really great fun animation, but those times when Peabody and Sherman are just looking at each other and connecting as father and son, like that, there, it happens a few times in the movie, and it's just I, those moments, just you know, I love them. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of stuff like that, was there any like funny stories or anecdotes that you'd want to share with us from working on, at DreamWorks on, on any of the films? Well, there's a, there's a lot of stuff that happens all the time that's really fun. You know, dailies, like I was saying before, dailies can be incredibly stressful um, because you're putting your, your heart and soul into your shots. And, you know, you have to give everything to a shot when you're working on it. And you're putting it up in front of a large group of people and they're telling you whether or not they like it. And it's, you know, some of it is really subjective about whether or not this is going to work for the film. But it's so it's, you know, you never know if it's going to be like, yeah, that's perfect. Or no, don't do that. So it's really stressful. So we try very hard to sort of make the experience as fun and crazy as possible. And one of the things that we do a lot of, which has turned into a really great experience, is um, we shoot a lot of video reference to try and get our ideas through. And quite often there are outtakes from the video reference or the video reference itself could be very um strange and uh so like for example the zumba beat in the oh, yeah. very beginning of the film with peabody that was animated by scott lafleur and he is one of those guys who just goes all out with his video reference like he goes completely like he gets costumes and so he his video reference for that showed up and um he was wearing these really short shorts and a headband and this tight shirt with a super serious face and then he starts doing the you know and he, like, researched all the movies. <coughs> Total action. But, but, you know, that, you get a man up there in short shorts on the giant screen, like, you know, doing the super serious Zumba action. You just start busting up. Um, and so much of the reference was so good. We, they actually, a few of the animators started an annual video reference awards. And there's, you know, awards in there for super awkward, you know, moments or best romantic moments or kind of of what the heck was that moments and stuff so you know there's there's all sorts of that which is really fun 
Um, and then the animators are always playing pranks on each other and things like that. It's, it's a, you know, it's just, it's hard. It's a hard job animating and it's, takes a lot out of you. So whatever we can do to make it fun and entertaining is awesome. Very cool. So what's next for you? Uh, next uh, is probably my expense reports and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I'm not sure. There's a project that we're looking at getting started on, but I'm not sure exactly when it's going to start yet. We've just uh, upgraded our animation system to a brand new package. I think Mike was talking about it. Um, yeah. You know, for the past number of years, we've been working on a software package called Emo, which is great in some areas, but not so great in other areas. It's it's wonderful at organizing your animation. Um, it's very very simple workflow, but it has it wasn't very fast, so. Uh, we've just upgraded our, like, rewritten our whole system. So we are in this new software called Promo, which is insanely fast. It's just, it's ridiculous how fast it is. And um, I was, I was, you know, one of the people early, early on working on that. And then as Peabody and Sherman ramped up and, and we weren't going to use Primo on that, I went back to using Emo and I haven't used it in a while. So I sort of have to, I have to learn the new animation package, which will be fun. So I think that's kind of my next goal as I wait for the next show to start up is just, learn the package, talk to all the animators that are working on Dragons 2 and Home and the other films that have been in the package for a while and understand what is, what's been really successful, what hasn't been, and what can I do to make sure that the next show starts up in a way that's going to make them extremely successful and, and uh, you know, do their jobs well. So probably a lot of conversation and a lot of learning. All right, last question. What's your dream project to work on? Oh, my dream project. Um, you know, I absolutely love Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs. I would love to work on one of those. I just think that the the movement and the comedy and the posing is so strong. Uh, I thought the Lego movie was a blast. Would You know, I'd, I'd love to have worked on that. Um, I think, uh, let me think. I would. I think my my dream right now is when I retire, I want to build a stop motion studio in my basement, and do stop motion. Right. I've never done it before, except for that one dude who melted as he walked across the screen. <laughs> um, but it's one of those things. There's something really great about the idea. Maybe it's just a romantic notion of you're doing improv as animation because that's that's sort of you know when you're doing stop motion, it's like you're just going and it's the performance and what you get out of it is what it is. And there's no going back and changing it, you know, unless you're going to reshoot the whole thing. So you're sort of, you're really focused and you're in the flow and you're just like, you're going and you have to stay like super into it. And there's something really appealing about that. So, um, you know, maybe, maybe going and learning how to do stop motion and working on that would be a dream. Um, but otherwise, you know, it's, I'm, I'm really happy doing what I'm doing right now. And, uh, it's it's very exciting getting into the beginning of a project because you have no idea what it's going to be and all the all the possibilities are open and everything's there. So as I'm getting started on the next, that'll probably be my dream project for the next three years. <laughs> so we, we usually give a recommendation out each episode that we do. Is there anything that you would like anybody, anybody to check out or give a um, recommendation for? Yeah, definitely. Uh, go see Peabody and Sherman in theaters. Yeah. Um, <laughs> please. <laughs> Uh, it's, you know, it's still in theaters. It's, I think it's a really fun movie. Um, I love it personally, and, uh, I would love to be able to do a second one. So please go see it. Yeah. Uh, there's also, I think Mike mentioned the, um, art of Mr. Peabody and Sherman book signing, signing happening at the Nucleus Gallery in LA 
on the 22nd. So I will be at that. Um, next, at the end of this week, I'm going to be in Missouri at Linda Hall Library uh, doing a presentation about animation about Peabody and Sherman. So if you get a chance, go there. Um, and uh, yeah, that's. I think that's about it. Nice. Well, we, we want to thank you again for taking time out of your schedule and coming on our podcast. We really appreciate it with, with all of our heart. We really appreciate it. Uh, it's totally my pleasure, Mark. I'm, I'm really happy that you guys are doing this. Um, thank you. you know, the, the more animation podcasts we get out there, the better. And you guys have had some really great ones. So Thanks. it's been awesome. To so thank you very much. Thank you again. And uh, I will edit this probably today or tomorrow and I'll, I'll email it to you and let you know when it's it's out and everything like that awesome very cool all right sir so yeah thank you again uh thank you so yeah. much it's so great to meet you thanks for your great work it's nice meeting you guys too yeah, it was and a great uh, pleasure talking to you thank you you too all right, all right guys thank Have you a again. Great Easter monday you too good luck with that expense report jason yeah. <laughs> 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 All right, thanks, guys. Thank Take care. You. Talk to you later. Bye. Bye. So that was our interview with Jason Schleifer. We want to thank him one more time for coming on the podcast. We really appreciate it. And don't forget, you guys can follow us individually on Twitter. I'm at Mark Vibbert, M-A-R-C-V-I-B-B-E-R-T. I'm John at, uh, at Woolbinkle, W-U-L-L-B-I-N-K-L-E. And I'm at Stanford Clark. Or you guys can follow the show at Animated Podcast. Uh, feel free to also email us at animationfascinationpodcast at gmail.com. You can visit our site at animationfascination.wordpress.com where you can find all the latest news from both Stanford and John and Jessica and everybody else that writes for us as well. Uh, you can also like us on Facebook just by searching for Animation Fascination. And if it wouldn't be too much to ask, we would also ask that you'd go on iTunes and leave us a review on there as well. It would help us out and make the show better for you as well. So I'm Mark Fibbert for myself, Stanford Clark, John Huber, and our guest Jason Schleifer. Thank you guys for listening and make sure to tune in again next time. Thank Great. you, Mark. All right. Later guys. Thanks, John. Talk to you soon. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Take care. You too. You too. Thanks. Bye. 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 Can we just do it again? One more time like it once was way back when you gave me something to believe in. We were the best of friends. Well, I Right, and we're to our main topic today, talking with Jason Schleifer, who is the head character. Oh, crap.
Ed Crap. Yes. Sorry. I, you know, every time I do it, like a little demo thing like this, I always end up having to redo it like five times. Like, yeah, yeah. Uh, That'll be a good one. Right. <laughs> um, sorry, I'm getting like little beeps and blings and stuff. <laughs> My next meeting's coming up. Um, <laughs> is there? Is it true that there's a spot in a man's head that if you shoot it, it will blow up? <laughs> <laughs> Uh. All right, and we want to thank Jason one more time for coming on on the podcast. We appreciate all poop. We appreciate all the poop. Uh, just think, what the hell? Either one of you guys can go. Sorry. No, sorry. I was deferring. Um, oh. After you. I'm. <laughs> I'm you're not matching, matching, missing uh, mus, yeah. much with. I got a yo-yo. Wow. Wow. Cufflinks. There's some crazy nice. stuff in here. Man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've been wanting to time travel since I saw Back to the Future when I was like five years old. I know. I love that movie. That was, uh, that was such a great. That uh, and, that, and that movie's got a Mr. Peabody and Sherman reference in it too. I know I had no idea until I watched the the Netflix special. <laughs> I was like, "Oh, well, that's cool." <laughs> Things you learn. You know? That's awesome. Wait, we got to do this thing again. <laughs> <laughs> you got to call Jason again. <laughs>